I'm going to ask you to take a seat because we're going to do something a little different today. We have a very long Bible reading. Um, and so, you know, tired feet make for tired brains and ears. And so we're going to uh, listen to this. Our first scripture reading is 2 Corinthians, all of basically all of chapter 8 and chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. If you remember 2 Corinthians, you realize Paul is dealing with one issue. There's a tension between him and the Corinthian church. And it's going to take up this, almost the whole letter. And, but chapter 8 and chapter 9, Paul is worried that the tension between him and the Corinthian Christians will derail the charitable gifts that they had promised to give to take care of needy Christians in Jerusalem or the needy the Christians in Jerusalem who are in need. And so now he's going to take a moment to break his uh, dealing with the tension and he's going to uh, come back to what they promised. They promised they would give generously and he wants them to keep it up and not let this tension stop it. And so 2 Corinthians 8, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflown, overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, for they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it without uh, completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness, as it is written. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And then Paul explains his accountability team. It's really a security team, but accountability. These are hand-picked people approved by the various churches to accompany him. And part of the reason they're to accompany him is to make sure that the monies get to Jerusalem safely and that there's no scandal. And so he says in verse 20, we take this course so that no one may blank, should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And so he just continues that. And then in chapter 9, he explains why he is sending Titus ahead. 
because he's bringing brothers from Macedonia and other places with him, he wants Titus to go and help him to have everything in place so that there's no one embarrassed, that Paul's not embarrassed, the Corinthian Christians are not embarrassed, etc., that it's all done well. And then, so then verse 5 ends with, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way by to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And now we turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles 28 and 29 go together better than chocolate and peanut butter in a Reese's cup. It's just one scene and it has two themes in it. Chapter 28, keep the faith. 29, contribute freely. Keep the faith, contribute freely. And the two go together like a hand in a glove. And so 29 continues the scene from 28. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen as, a, as young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for, for Yahweh God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, and the iron for the things of iron, and the wood for the things of wood, besides... Great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony and colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all of that, to all that I have provided for the house of, uh, for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. Because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. And so then he catalogs the quantities that he gives to the house of God. And then in, at the end of verse 5, he makes this challenge. Who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to, to Yahweh? Then the leaders of the father's houses made their freewill offerings as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and hundreds and the officers over the works. They gave, and it tells you how much they gave, and they gave them to the treasury of the house of Yahweh in the care of Jehel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly with, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord, to Yahweh. King David 
uh, David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed Yahweh in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Yahweh, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Yahweh, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that you should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Yahweh our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments your testimonies and your statutes performing all and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. And David continues to pray to the Lord and to sacrifice and the place breaks out in feasting and festivities again. And so it's summarized in verse 22. And they ate and drank before Yahweh on that day with great gladness. And so then David is set up as the, David, the son of uh, Solomon, the son of David is set up as king now no longer as vice-regent, but as the solo king, and they anoint him as prince for Yahweh and Zadok as priest. And Solomon sat on the throne of Yahweh as king in place of David. It's not Solomon's throne. It's not David's throne. It's the throne of Yahweh. And, the, and Yahweh made David, made Solomon, uh, made, uh, and Yahweh made Solomon very great. And all the people pledged their allegiance to Solomon. And then comes the end, a little summary of David's, short, uh, David's life and the concluding statement, and he died, verse 28, and then he died at a good age, full of days, riches, and honor, and Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. Oh, dear friends, all that I've read and summarized for you in First and Second Corinthians, and Second Corinthians 8 and 9, and all that I've read and summarized for you in First Chronicles 29, it is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O oh Lord God, to whom all things belong and from whom all things come, in whom there is no variation or shadow of change, by the enriching presence and power of your Spirit, open our eyes to the riches of your grace and in the renewal of our lives, make known your heavenly glory that your Son may be honored. Amen. Well, dear friends, on the back of the worship guide, if you're visiting, uh, you'll need to know this, on the back of the worship guide is the sermon outline. There's some space there. There's lots of little sub-points in there and all that, but there is some space there. Now, there are a few reasons that I do not like to talk about money in the context of church. I have told you about them before. There's several of them, but the one that bugs me the most is the accusation 
that is sometimes true of certain ministries. It's that accusation that says, all those church people ever talk about is money, money, money. I don't want that ever said about me. And I don't want that ever said about us. Even the Apostle Paul did not like talking about giving and donating. If you read carefully 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you realize it's an awkward moment. But my friends, it needs to be addressed because God has it addressed in too many places in the scriptures, from the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament to the New Testament. So it needs to be addressed. Now, last week we began what was really one sermon Chapter 28 and 29 is one sermon. Keep the faith, contribute freely. There are the two points. But today we're just looking, last week we looked at keep the faith, today we look at contribute freely. And that's the point, contribute freely. So let me break this down. First off, David leads the way of contributing freely. You couldn't miss it in verse 2, 3, and 17 where he says, you know, I, I have provided for the house of God. I have provided, and out of my devotion, I give even of my own treasury. And then in verse 17, I have offered, or freely offered. David is out front leading the way. David is generous and willing because he's grateful. Grateful for God's lavish goodness to David, which gives, which he then turns and responds to by giving out of lavish generosity. In fact, David has given with a view toward the future after he is gone. He supplies the needs of the present and also the needs of what are not, is not yet there. Right. So most of his giving is going to actually take effect and, and be beneficial long after he's gone. I have provided for the house of God. I have provided for the holy house, he says. Dear friends, sometimes I go to the mailbox and have to bring in the mail and see the checks that come in. And it's impressive that some of those who were members of our church who have gone on, they set it up to where their accounts are still giving to heritage. That's kind of the idea. My mother even has it set up in her trust that a certain portion of the funds that when they're liquidated, when property is liquidated, so much of it will go to her church. That's very fitting and very appropriate. And so David led from the front just as good leaders lead from the front. Even our good shepherd Jesus leads from the front. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners, in himself, lest you become discouraged and wearied in your hearts. Consider him. He leads from the front. And so David contributes, uh, leads the way in contributing freely. But then secondly, David's example is the, as the backdrop. With David's example as a backdrop, David now challenges the people to follow suit. It's there at the end of verse 5. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today? It comes up in verse 9, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly and with a whole heart they had offered freely to Yahweh words that were used of David earlier. So he is, his example is having effect. And so David the king also rejoiced greatly. And then you see it again when you get down to verses 17 and 19 as David is praying. Look at how they've offered freely. I gave and they gave. 
And so David challenges the people to follow suit. Now, this would have been an important message for God's beleaguered people coming out from under the exile where they were badgered and beaten down and, and uh, uh, disenfranchised and distressed and all of that in the middle of the 4th century B.C. to hear, oh yes, contribute freely, don't forget that. In fact, Michael Wilcox, in his little commentary on First and Second Chronicles, a commentary I recommend to you if you're interested in looking at a commentary on First and Second Chronicles, Michael Wilcox puts it this way. Quote, Israel, after the exile, was faced with the same sort of challenge to commitment, the challenge to commitment as the Israel of the early monarchy had been. And it is still to be met in the same practical way. The giving of oneself expressed by the giving of one's wealth. End of quote. The giving of one's self expressed in the giving of one's wealth. It's a great statement. All it takes is a cursory reading of the prophet Haggai, who prophesied in a time after exiles began to return to, it, to, the, to the land, and you cannot miss it. There you see the people, all tight-fisted with their time, their sweat, and their resources, only thinking about themselves and their survival, and not generous. Or just run over to Nehemiah, and if you remember the sermon series I did in Sunday evening from Nehemiah, rebuilding after a hot mess, you can't miss how all the people were there in Jerusalem, that were in Jerusalem, just left Jerusalem in a shambles, only taking care of their own stuff, and that's all they did until Nehemiah came and led them to give of themselves, to give of their time, and to give of their resources to rebuild after a hot mess. And so lack of resources should not become a barrier. And there's quite a bit of this sentiment back over there in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 of the Macedonians. Well, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us, the giving of oneself expressed in the giving of one's wealth. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. The gospel is the very centerpiece and the heart of such contribu free contribution and generosity. For you... The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And so David leads from the front, and then he, with that as the backdrop, he encourages them to also contribute freely along with him. And now then, David prays for their future generosity. It's there in verse 17 and 18. As David is praying, he then says, Now I've seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyfully to you, that's in the present, O Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people. There he's praying for future generosity that will match the present generosity. Maybe one of the things we should start putting on our prayer radar is, number one, 
thankfulness for the past and present generosities of the people of God in this church. You know, when our deacons and elders get together for our monthly meeting and and after John Harris gives a wonderful budget report, (laughs) the most exciting part of our deacon elder meeting, we will end the meeting somewhere in there and spend time praying, praying for you, and inevitably we will pray and give thanks Someone would pray and give thanks for the generosity that has kept us afloat and kept us going. And so, yes, that should always be there, putting uh, our, uh, on our prayer radar a thankfulness for the past and present generosity of God's people in this church. But secondly, that we would continue praying that we would continue to ha- be happily generous. Lord, may it be in our hearts from now on to be that generous and continue to be generous. And then thirdly, putting on our prayer radar, our kids, that our kids and our grandkids would pick up that generosity and continue on into their generations. Well, David leads from the front in this contributing freely, and then with that as a backdrop, he encourages and challenges the people to contribute freely, and he prays for future freely uh, given contributions and generosity. And then finally, David explains the reasoning for such lavish, freely given generosity. It's verses 10 through 16. Part of it is this. It's the fact that everything we have is from you to begin with. It's not ours. You couldn't miss it in the prayer in verses 10 through 13. You're the one who gives all of this, right? And so then it comes out clearly in verse 14, for all, for all things come from you and of your own we have given you. It's not ours to begin with. And then verse 16, this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own it's not our money you loaned it to us so we give back freely what you've given us i love the little prayer in verses 10 through 13 which is a solid reminder again of the motive of the of the reasoning for such lavish gifts in fact i have been helped by our lutheran friends who have taught me how to sing verse 10 through 13 using Gregorian chant. And it goes something like this. Now therefore our God we thank Thee and praise Thy glorious name. Blessed be Thou Lord God of Israel our Father forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. And thou thou therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. I love that little song and prayer and use it every day. It's a good reminder of whose kingdom it is, whose church it is, and where it all comes from. And that's really the point. It's God's kingdom. It's God's church. 
It's God's wealth and it's God's lavish gift. And so we're able to give joyfully and lavishly because God has lavishly and joyfully given to us. You hear it in the New Testament. You know it. 1 John 4, 19. We love because why? We love because he first loved us. We give because he first gave to us. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that youth was poverty might become rich. And so the giving of oneself is expressed in the giving of one's wealth. Well, dear friends, such generosity makes it hard to be sour and dour, bitter and bad-tempered. And so the people break out, verses 21 and 22. They break out in feasting and festivities again. These people love to party. It's just like what happened in chapter 16 as the ark of God's presence and covenant comes to Jerusalem and they broke out in a multiple day feasting and festivities there. The people do so again here. Oh, dear friends, there is such a propriety to festive church life. In fact, now I know this is a gamble. But it may be a stretch. But I think maybe verse 22 ought to be stitched into every communion cloth. Right? And they ate and drank before the Lord on the day, on that day with great gladness. Maybe it needs to be under the words, this do in remembrance of me. And underneath it, it says, and they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. There's a propriety. Now understand, there's a propriety for us to, to, to be serious and somber, but we don't have to be a funeral when we have communion. How fitting. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. It's just like the two, as we heard in the call to worship this morning, the two on the road to Emmaus. There was our, our Lord had been crucified three days before, and unbeknownst to them, he had now been raised from the dead, body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair, no longer subject to misery or mortality. But they didn't know that, and there they are, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and suddenly comes a stranger, and they begin talking to this unrecognized someone as they wander down the road. And then that someone opened the scriptures to them, reminding them of how Moses and the Psalms and the prophets all testified of Christ. And then they finally get home and, and show hospitality and bring him in for the supper. And while they were at the table, listen to the communion language here. The stranger took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And they break out with joy and they run back to the others. And as they recount to the others this moment they, they talk about how their hearts burned in them as Jesus opened the scriptures to them and how he was known, made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Oh, dear friends of all people, in this big, wide, woolly world, it should be known of us. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. Well, finally, in 1 Chronicles 29 comes the pleasant conclusion. It's verses 22 through 30. It's very simple. Solomon is now set on the throne of Yahweh's kingdom. The people pledge their allegiance. Right? Very simple. And then, 
and the Lord made Solomon very great. And then comes this little summary of David's reign. And it says that he died at a good age, full of days, riches, and honor. And Solomon reigned in his place. It's a, it's a good conclusion, a pleasant conclusion. Because why? Because it's telling us that all that God promised David in chapter 15 has happened. I'll set your son, you won't build me a house, but your son will build me a house, and I will set your son upon your throne. He'll be my son, I'll be his father. And I will subdue all your enemies before you, and I'll make you, give you great honor, and I'll give Israel a safe place to dwell, and here's how this ends. What the reliable God says, the reliable God does. Everything is now in place in good order. For us Presbyterians, this makes our hearts sing. And good order looks to be ensuing. Revival and reformation are being moved forward into the next generation. Oh, friends, Christianity is always a next generation religion. We don't neglect the present, but it's a present always looking toward the next generation. Well, what is the bearing of this final chapter of 1 Chronicles? Well, for God's beleaguered people who are coming out from the exile, as they come to now draw near to God in the gracious way He has opened to them, it should have resulted in, in them being a, a, an unstingy, ungrudging, unsparing response. No matter how little they had, and they had little. No matter how destitute they have been, and they have been destitute. And the same goes for us now, especially after God's costly, generous gift of His Son. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich yet for your sakes, He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. Thinking more about what's the bearing of this passage, well, as we, as we consider it, then it brings us to think about how should we pass on generosity to our kids and grandkids, that seems to be a necessity. If you don't teach them to be generous, let me tell you, if you didn't know this, they won't be generous. How do we pass this on? We want to pass this on as we pray that that generosity will move on into the next generations. And then, dear friends, even planning out ways to give long beyond our lifetime preparing for the future of our spiritual offspring. Listen, heritage hit a very, very dark place back in the 1950s and 60s and into the 70s, right? It got very, very small. It got very, very tight. But those people continued to pray and they continued to give. And you, dear friends, benefit from what they gave. You have benefited from what they gave. I mean, you think about it. In that magic moment, if you will, came in the middle of the 70s, Steve Childers and, and the growth that began. That's back when John Hawk was still in diapers, maybe, huh? No, not that far back. But then the church flourished. And all of those people continued to pray for heritage and to give generously. And you benefit from that. And so be thinking about how can we give generously with a view to the future to actually give maybe somehow to have a you know, a, a generous impact even after we're gone. Well, further, as there was a great need in David's day to build and keep the building and ministry going, we too have some hefty needs here 
as our building ages, as the air conditioners break, need replacing, some of them even sometimes sucking in water from outside. You know, as those, those things, those air conditioners in here cost far more than your home air conditioners. As there are vacancies in our membership due to death. As the steeple up above us here needs to be cleaned and refinished. As we want to keep the vacation Bible schools going as part of our gospel proclamation and our mission trip to Carnegie need to be underwritten. As we work with missionaries and want to fund them and, and uh, uh, Reformed University Fellowship Campus Ministries at the University of Tulsa, OSU, and OU. And they all need to be funded and so much more. Now, my friends, let me take another gamble here. And I'm going to just take the lead from David. And it's, a, it's risky. But dear friends, this means a lot to me. We, our family, gives a tithe to Heritage every month. And then on top of that, we support all three campus ministries in Oklahoma. And on top of that, we support a mission in Peru. And on top of that, we support missions in Ukraine. And there's so much more I could tell you that we get involved with, but it's, it's that giving lavishly. And so I'm hoping that that leads from the front a little and so therefore, dear brothers and sisters, I invite you. I invite you to sit in this passage a while today. Let it soak into your pores and get into your bloodstream. And then reassess your budget and give. But give not to get publicity. Give not to get power. Give not to get prestige. Give because he first gave you for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Let's pray. O Lord our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, and David, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, keep forever such purposes and thoughts as we have learned this day in our hearts and perpetually direct our hearts towards you. Enliven our desire to pass along this kingdom to the next generations with grace and gratitude and rouse in us a deeper and more delighted generosity for yours O lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours yours is the kingdom O lord and you are exalted as head above all both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all and in your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God. We praise your glorious name. Amen.